0: We will be studying today um, Matthew 25, so if you want to turn to that passage. And while you're turning there, I wanted to make a couple announcements. Um, first of all, uh, this is to parents who have children who are either in the nursery or in junior church. Um, the, the, the nursery workers and the junior church people back there, they really dedicate a lot of time and effort and energy, and they sacrifice a lot so that you can be here. Uh, One of the things we want to ask you to do, though, is is that as soon as the worship service is over, before you start fellowshipping with people, go back and get your kids. Um, Because those folks have put in a good hour. Um, They're exhausted by now. And uh, they'd like to come out here and fellowship. But if parents come out here and fellowship and then, you know, 15 or 20 minutes later get their kids, it's not fair to those workers back there. And... um, and we can't, we won't release children without a parent coming back for them for safety's sake. So please, uh, parents, uh, make sure you make an effort to do that. Secondly, I'd like to uh, just, uh, I'd like to share with you my own excitement about what's going to start happening at this church starting to, uh, next Sunday. Uh, for me, in my Christian life, uh, there's something special. It's always been, and in, in, uh, in that about Sunday evening worship. Um, I don't know, I love Sunday morning worship absolutely love it just, it's, it's a vital part of my life but for some reason ever since I was early as a Christian uh, Sunday evening worship was always important to me and I think part of it was is a little bit more casual uh, laid back background but the other thing is, is that the fellowship just seems to be so much richer in one sense because um, folks don't have to rush home or worry that the roast is burning or the children aren't totally wired out and, and exhausted uh, and so what we've designed to do starting next Sunday is basically make this a full church experience. Uh, we're going to change the format of our Bible studies. Normally Bible study is, is almost like a classroom setting, and we're going to change that. We're going to bring it up here, and we're going to begin with worship. And we have some really cool musicians who have, are gathering together and doing some, some fun stuff to help us. We're going to have a time of just worship, just Praise and worship, uh, you know, not not long, and then I'm going to be starting a series for the adults on the Book of Revelation, and and I think that the Book of Revelation is extremely essential and important for us in light of um, what seems to be the increasing wickedness of our culture, where it's going. Uh, the Book of Revelation is is prepares people to endure no matter what Satan throws at us, and. It's a rich book, it's an exciting book, there's, it's vivid, it's like watching a movie, uh, and so we're going to be going through the book of Revelation. In the meantime, youth group for the high schoolers is going to be taking, uh, going on, and for the uh, younger people, a youth group is going to be going on, so no matter what age your kids are, there's something for them, and we also are going to have a full nursery provided. And so we want this to be just a, a, a kind of like a, a family gathering every Sunday evening. And so I want to urge you to think about making that. We've moved, you know, the, the time is, is earlier so that um, people can get kids in bed and, and everything like that. But it, it's going to be a rich time. It's going to be a rich time for us as a church, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it as, as well. That will begin next week. So we're going to be studying Matthew 25, the last section of it here. Let's pray together before we begin. Father in heaven, we praise you and we thank you that you have sent your son and that he came and he took the time to just pour out his heart for us, to help us as his followers and to even be prepared for his second coming, that most dramatic of all days the earth will ever know. Father, please be with us now that we would be prepared. If your son has taken so much time to equip us, help us, we pray, to ourselves be prepared. And so as we study this text, help us to be prepared. Help us, we pray. Teach us, we ask. Lead us. We come now with open hearts. Speak to us, we pray, in the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible open in Matthew 25, and, and if you have a red-letter edition Bible, uh, some of you do, some of you don't. Mine is red-letter edition. That means the words of Jesus are in red. You'll notice that at the end of chapter 25, you start seeing much, more, uh, much less of the red letters and much more of the black letters uh, through the end of the, of the book. And that's because at the end of chapter 25, beginning chapter uh, chapter 26 to the end of the book, that begins, the public, the public ministry of Jesus ends, and then the, the trial, the, the Last Supper, the trial, the crucifixion, the resurrection, we enter into those important chapters. Okay, So this is, in one sense, and it's kind of graphic in a red-letter Bible, because uh, up to this point, you know, chapter 25 is almost all read, chapter 24 is almost all read, and chapter 23 is almost all read. And so you have this intense teaching of Jesus, and now it's going to be summarized. And it's summarized with this final, uh, this final message, as it were. Now, Jesus, the theme of the book of Matthew, one of the themes that we've been looking at is the kingdom of God. That's one of the themes that, that Jesus has come and he has instituted and inaugurated this unique, this different, this wonderful, this kingdom that's different than any other of the world's kingdoms. And as we've been looking at this kingdom, we, we sometimes use the phrase, it's an upside-down kingdom. It, 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 it seems like it turns the world upside down. But then, of course, if we're thinking correctly, it's the right-side-up kingdom. Satan has turned the world upside down and such. So Jesus' kingdom seems upside down from our perspective. Uh, it, in Jesus' kingdom, the greatest people are the servants of everybody else. In Jesus' kingdom, there's not to be any rulers towering over each other, but we're all to be brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' kingdom, blind the voice of blind beggars uh, captures the kingdom's interest and the king's interest more than, than crowds and, 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 and leaders, distinguished leaders. In Jesus' kingdom, a Samaritan helping his enemy, a Jewish man who has been beat up, Is defines what it means to love your neighbor. In Jesus' kingdom, love and sacrifice and service and turning the other cheek are all all highlighted. Jesus' kingdom is beautiful, it is glorious, and the world just doesn't get it. We're gonna see that graphically now, one more time, as Jesus now gives us some teaching. This is not a parable, this is now a straightforward teaching. On His second coming. It is simple. It is profound. Kids, you shouldn't have a hard time. If, if Grace and, and, uh, and Jake and Erica gets, really give you a hard test tonight in, in, in youth group, this should be pretty easy for you because this is a very simple passage and, and you'll, you'll get it right away and you'll have stuff that you can tell them. But anyway, notice here uh, what we're going to see is, is, is going to raise some, some really important questions for us as well. So Chris read it. What I'm going to do is I'm going to go through it verse by verse again, and we're going to look at this passage. So let's begin at verses 31 through 33. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats, and he will set the sheep on on his right hand, And the goats on his left. And now notice here, at this point, the delay is over. The delay is over. Jesus has been giving us all of this theology of delay. The delay is over. The second coming is happening. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, comes again. And notice the emphasis of verse 31. It is absolutely sheer glory. It is glory. Glory is the emphasis. The Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him. And so you have Jesus, and notice this, all of the holy angels come. All of heaven, as it were, empties out and comes to earth. There's so much glory. And then he will sit upon his throne of glory. The majesty of this event, the greatness of it, is hard to even imagine. In fact, I, I, I had to because of the busyness of the later part of the week. I had to prepare this sermon very early in the week. And Queen Elizabeth had not died yet when I, when I prepared this sermon. And so I actually had in my notes that how do, how do we understand sort of this kind of glory, this kind of royal majesty? We don't have anything in our country. The closest thing we have in our country is Inauguration Day when a president is inaugurated. All of Washington, focus is focus on that one stage. And the president takes the oath of office. In Britain, of course, they still have uh, a king and queen. And uh, I actually was going to use the illustration of Charles and Diana's wedding, and because when Charles and Diana were married, that was there was so much pageant and there was so much uh, for, uh, just glory, as it were, at that moment that they estimate that almost a billion people watched that on TV. A billion people. They think that that was the largest viewed. Thing on TV ever, the moonwalk was 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 the other thing that was closed. Well, now there's probably going to be. So I don't I don't I'm not up on this royal stuff, but there there's probably going to be some kind of coronation or something for uh, Charles, and uh, and that's gonna that's gonna give us some taste, but the smallest of tastes. This is the very Son of Man who is appearing, and he's appearing in glory. And by the way, we're going to see him in glory in Revelation chapter one. We're going to see his face shining like the sun. We're going to see the brilliance of, of who he is as a person so that John passes out in his presence and can't take the majesty and greatness. If you could see the Lord Jesus right now, you would die. You would probably just pass out and die. We, we, his glory is always veiled. When he was seen by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter six, the, the temple was filled with smoke. To, to, to shield, in a sense, this glory and majesty. Well, here now, this glory and majesty is going, to be, is going to be evident to everyone. It's going to be evident everywhere. And it's going to be an absolutely unimaginable, in some sense, never seen before, in another sense, gathering. Because look at verse 32. All the nations will be gathered before him. Every single nation will be gathered there before him. Every single person, actually, who ever existed will be gathered before him in order to be judged. And this is taught to us in Scripture in other places. In Acts chapter 17, for instance, I'm sorry, in Revelation chapter 20. Did I give you Revelation 20? Yep. No. Is it in there? Revelation 20. Is that the first one? No. Okay. Nope. I'll read Revelation 20. Well, how about we do that? Listen to this passage. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 14, it says this. Then I saw a great white throne, and He, him who sat upon it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. His majesty is so great, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. This idea that all of creation, all of the world, everybody who has ever existed will appear before the judgment seat of Christ is a clear teaching of scripture. Now John, Acts 17.31 says this. And says this, because he appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this by raise, of to all by raising him from the dead. Notice here that a day has been appointed and Jesus Christ is going to judge. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10, again the same thing is taught. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. We must all. Appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. And so there is this this idea of this, this gathering. And notice here this interesting thing that takes place. Go back to your passage now, Matthew 25, and notice what it says. He comes with all of his angels. And gather, they are gathering together all of the nations before him. So the angels are sent out. They're gathering together, all of them before them. And as a shepherd divides his sheep, these people are being divided. You stand here. You stand over here. Uh, You, you're over here. You're over here. Angels are directing it. This is happening. People are being divided. And now this division of people some on Jesus' right and some on his left, this division is the final and in one sense the only division that matters. It's the only division that matters. This is a great and solemn moment. See, we have lots of divisions in our culture and in our time. Rich, again, poor. Educated, uneducated. You know, people who are royalty and people who are not. Uh, Jan and I were talking and, and uh, we found out that the queen died. And we were just talking about the fact that, you know, and I think Jan or I said, uh, you know, Ray Nelson and, and queen, queen Elizabeth are there. And I said, she's no longer Queen Elizabeth. She's Elizabeth. She's just one of them. And there's a true king there, the, the king of all kings. But she's just, she's just Elizabeth now. You see, all of these human distinctions that we have now, presidents, rich, Famous, all of that—none of that happens. Like, like if the angel says, Are "You over here," and I don't, you know, I'm hoping Queen Elizabeth. I'm hoping Elizabeth's over there. She, if she were to say, "I'm Queen Elizabeth," she said, "No, you're Elizabeth. You sit or you stand over here." You know, I, 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 I'm President Reagan. No, you're Ronnie. Ronnie you're over there. Whatever. You know, all of that. Nothing matters. But whether you're on the right or you're on the left, sheep on the right, goats on the left. And then notice what it says. He now, the king, speaks to the sheep. Verse 34. Then the king will say to those who are on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And so he is judging the sheep. He begins by saying, Blessed are you. Now, notice this. This is not teaching salvation by works. If somebody were to take this passage and say, okay, here we go, salvation is whether I feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty and bring, bring in strangers, that's how salvation That is not what this is teaching. If you were to say, oh, therefore, because of this text, salvation is by works, then you're going to have to overturn all of the rest of the Bible. Because the rest of the Bible, you could even ask the question, then why did Jesus even come? Why did Jesus even die on the cross? Why is there a sacrifice lamb? Why, if salvation really is just doing good deeds to other people? That's what salvation is. Now, this is not salvation. Salvation is by grace. This is the evidence that salvation has happened. This is the evidence, as we looked last week. It's the evidence that a new birth has happened. It's the evidence that the Holy Spirit is indwelling. It's the evidence that a person has been raised from the dead. It's the evidence that they have been made a child of God. It's the evidence. This is, a, this is a courtroom. And evidence is being brought forward. And this is evidence. The Bible clearly teaches that salvation is by grace. And in fact, you don't even have to go out of this text to see grace. What in the world does verse 34 mean if it doesn't mean grace? Grace. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world before you fed one hungry person. And that's what the Bible teaches. Salvation is by grace. It's a work of God. It's a a blessing that is poured out upon us. Just think of Ephesians 1, for instance, verses 3 through 6. Listen, follow along. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now listen, here's the same language Jesus uses in Matthew 25. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Look at verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace by which He made us accepted in the Beloved. Salvation is by grace. Salvation is from God. Salvation is by God's sovereign plan and sovereign work. Then the next chapter, Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And yet verse 10 comes right then immediately. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Salvation is by grace, and when grace comes and salvation comes, then works begin to flow, evidences begin to happen, people start doing things, their lives are changed, and they start ministering and serving and helping others and seeing others, and that's exactly what's happening in this text here. I want you to. I want you to capture something. Let's capture something in this text right now. This text is amazing. I just capture something. Here is a perfect example again of the upside-down kingdom. Now just just step back for a second and think about this text. Jesus, the Son of Man, the Son of God, in all of His glory, breaks into this world. Remember when He did that once in the Mount of Transfiguration. And all of a sudden he's just his 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 pre-existent glory begins to shine through. And the apostle writers write that his face shined like the sun and his clothes was were as white as snow, whiter than anybody could ever bleach them. And they fall to the ground and they're hiding their head, and his light is beaming on them, and his glory is so great they can barely say, Well, now that glory has broken through. This world as we know it has been radically transformed. There's all of these angels, these hosts and hosts of angels, this whole army of angels has come down it's all so glorious he, now the king is sitting upon his throne judgment day has come people are divided they're standing before him and notice what he says notice how he judges notice what is brought to the forefront it's not all of the great events of the world it's not the great wars and the great discoveries and the great, the great nations and leaders and, and the great things that we learn about in history notice what's brought to the, to the, to the front no discussion of battles and generals and just and, and social progress and heroes and, and stuff that we would expect. What's brought to the forefront are the smallest acts of love, concern, compassion, kindness, sensitivity, <clears throat> sympathy, service, a meal, a drink. A bed, hospitality, some clothes. Literally, the Bible says, wrap around. Just a blanket around a naked person. A visit. Common acts of kindness and compassion. What an upside down kingdom! <laughs> the whole world is standing before him. He's the very son of God. All the kings and generals and everybody, all the intellectual geniuses, the whole, every created being from Adam to the very last one is standing there. We're all present. All of the angels are all there. And he's focusing on these teeny little acts of kindness, relieving relieving people, helping people, taking care of people in the smallest, most common Think about this. Concern for needy people. Concern for the most hurting people, the most vulnerable people. Commentator William Hendricks wrote this. Listen to his words about this text. He says, What is deserving of special attention is the fact that in each case of need, I was hungry, thirsty, a stranger, etc. And the satisfaction of this need, you gave me to eat. It is the faithful discharge of hunger Humble duties pertaining to day to day living that is given as the reason for the words of congratulation and praise and for the cheering invitation to come in and take possession of the blessings of the kingdom in its final stage. What Jesus is saying is, in your daily life and conduct, in what are often called the little things of life, you have furnished proof that you are my true disciples. Therefore, I call you blessed. This shows that this in that in the kingdom, there is room, plenty of room, for people who may not have done all kinds of great things in this world, but people who, with unpretentiousness, simple followers of Christ, who honored him in the common things of life, which is here pronounced blessed. This is an amazing kingdom. It is an amazing kingdom. It is a kingdom of, Where the king was concerned, whether we were concerned about the weakest, the most vulnerable, the needy, the the needs that were around us. Now, notice here also that Jesus identifies with these folks, he identifies with them. Notice what he says here. Look at the text again. The king speaks with all of the world silent before him. Elizabeth will be there. Reagan's there. Hitler will be there. Stalin will be there. Churchill will be there. Caesar will be there. All of the greats will be there. Everybody is silent before the Lord Jesus Christ as he speaks. And notice what he says. He says to the sheep, blessed are you. Come, inherit the kingdom. Blessed, I, I, I'm so excited to give you this kingdom that we've been preparing from the foundation of the world. Look at verse 35. For I was hungry. I was thirsty. I was a stranger. I was naked. I was sick. I was imprisoned. Notice the identity that Jesus feels toward His people. This unique this is the doctrine of the union with Christ. What is happening to His people is happening to him. It's like if you have people that you are united to, you feel united to, a husband and a wife, wife and a husband. You know, you, 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 you say something bad to, to about, about this person, you say something bad to me. You pick a fight with them, I'm in the fight. I'm united. I'm here. And that's what Jesus is saying. And we see this in such a powerful and graphic way, for instance, when Jesus stops, um, when Jesus stops uh, uh, Paul, Saul of Tarsus on the road. And in Acts chapter 9, Jesus says this. It says, Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And up to this moment, Jesus, we have no idea whether Saul actually saw Jesus ever when he was on the earth earth, until now. This is the first time Saul has actually been introduced as he actually sees Jesus for his call as an apostle. Why are you persecuting me? And he said to him, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Saul was not persecuting Jesus. He was persecuting Jesus' followers. And Jesus says, I unite to them. I am one with them. I am united to them. You're in Matthew 25. Just flip over to Matthew 10 for a second. Jesus already said this. But notice what he says in verse 40 of Matthew 10, verse 40. He who receives you, he's saying to his followers, to his disciples, He who receives you receives me. He who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones, who are the little ones? He's going to say they're his disciples. Only a cup of cold water in the name of a disciple. Assuredly, I say to you, he shall by no means lose his reward. Jesus is saying there is a unique focus here. You took care of my people. You loved my people. Now, Christians are called to love all people. We're called to love our neighbors ourselves. The Good Samaritan was called to love the Jewish man who was his enemy. We're called to love all people. But there's also a unique focus that we're to, to be focused on as God's people. And that is other followers of Jesus. For instance, in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 19, Paul fifth concludes that book by saying this. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all. All people. We're to do good to all people. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. Now notice the believer's response to what Jesus is saying. Verse 37. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick and in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these my brethren, you did it to me. I love the fact that these believers' response is so humble. Like, when when did we do this? Like, what are you talking about? Like, we're not even aware that we did this. It's it's, it's just such a humble... They're not even aware that they've done this. One time I took a bunch of of my kids fishing. Um, maybe, Maybe I had four or five of them. We were on a dock, okay, and then there was a dock above this, this dock, where, where this dock was water level, and then there was one up above. And some people were watching this, this thing going on. And I think I had four or five kids, and you know what it's like taking kids, young kids fishing. <laughs> Number one, you don't want to, them to fall in, you have to fish them out, so you've got all that going on there. And then, of course, all you're doing is, is, uh, is tangling, uh, untangling, putting, hooks, putting bait on hooks, um, you know, getting hooks out of kids' you know shirts because the other kid hooked him, and uh, and and untangling and doing this, doing that, and uh, and, and then taking fish off the hook and, and all this and all that's going on, it's trying to get them all. Blah, blah, blah. And 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 so we were doing this. We were we were fishing. We were we were having a great time. We were fishing. When we got done, we were leaving, and these people looked over the thing to me, and they said, "Man, you got a lot of patience." And it actually just kind of took me by surprise. I was like, what? What are you talking about? And I just wasn't aware of the fact that I was being extremely patient with the kids because I was just so busy trying to keep this whole thing moving and doing it it, going in the direction that it, it would go. And I think that's kind of like what's going on here is that, that Jesus says to his, his followers, you... You really were gracious. You really were kind. You really were loving. You really were sensitive to people around you. You really took care of people. You you were amazing folk. You were amazing folk. And they're kind of kind of really. But what you see here is that there's this just this genuineness about these followers. They they were kind people. They were gracious people. They were loving people. And we're going to go into this a little bit later, but that, that's because they were grace-filled people. They experienced grace and they were just giving it out. I think of the woman who came to wash Jesus' feet, the, the prostitute who came washing Jesus' feet while he's at a dinner with all these Pharisees. And in Luke 7:47, Jesus says this, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven... The same loves little. This woman is being so gracious, so kind, so loving because she's so overwhelmed at her forgiveness of her sins. And you get this sense from these, these, these sheep. These sheep are just like, Lord, we, we, we didn't even know we were special or doing anything special. We were just doing what you did to us. Okay. Now, then Jesus, the king, speaks to the unbelievers. Look at verse 41. Then he said to uh, those, he also said to those on his left hand, depart from me. You cursed into ever the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So while a kingdom has been prepared before the foundation of the world, so also this has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And now you uh, goats will go there. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not take me in. I'm naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Again, these people did not do any of this stuff. They're kind of taken off guard by this too. And they become very defensive. And they say this. But they also answered him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? There's a sense in which they're caught off guard. And it's almost as if they're saying, if we knew it was you, we would have done something. You're important. Yeah, yeah we, don't, we didn't mess with the ordinary people. We didn't really think about them. We weren't, you know, people went hungry around us. People went naked around us. People didn't, they were thirsty around us. But, those are, but if we knew it was you, a big important person like you, if we knew that it was actually you, we'd have done something. We, we would have done it. We would have done it. And don't you almost hear in this the same attitude that we saw in verse 24? Remember verse 24? Look at it. Remember the guy who had the one talent last week? And then he received the one talent, came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you have not gathered. And I was afraid. And so I took your talent and put it in the ground because you're such a nasty person. It's your fault. And here, Thomas, if they're saying, if you'd have just told us it was you, we, we would have done something. We didn't know it was you. We just thought it was like riffraff. We just thought it was those ordinary people. We just thought it was those people that were driving us nuts. We had more important things to do. And then Jesus speaks these, these words to them, this horrible sentence. And he says to them, he says to them, Verse 45, then he answered them and said, Assuredly, I say to you inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. I, I identify with the needy and the and the weak and the, and the naked and the hungry. And these will go away into everlasting punishment. Now notice the contrast. They go into everlasting punishment. The word actually means torture but the righteous into everlasting, eternal life, life. These see death and darkness and and misery and fire, and others see life. They see life. J.C. Ryle wrote, They would not hear Christ when he said, Come unto me, and I will give you rest. And now they must hear him say, Depart into everlasting well, what do we make of all this? How do we apply this to ourselves? Well, first of all, I'd like to say this. Do you know what this passage actually is? This passage is actually Jesus giving us the answers to the last big exam. Do you, you ever have a college professor? Somebody's give you, hey, listen, the final is going to be tough, so here. Here's the information. Here's all the answers. Go study it, be ready, and you'll be prepared for the final. Jesus is actually preparing us for the big final exam. We're really blessed this morning. We got all the answers. We know exactly what's going to happen, how the final judgment is going to play out, how this is going to work, what we need to do to be prepared. So, dear friends, why do the unbelievers fail? Why do they fail? They fail because they haven't listened to Jesus' teaching all the way along. Jesus has been warning this ever since he started teaching upon the earth. Jesus would say things like this. Life does not exist in the abundance of the possessions that you own. Beware of covetousness. When the priest and the Levite, who were more self-centered about themselves, walked away from the injured Jewish man, Jesus is making a point. When Martha was too concerned about all of the little busynesses of life, and he said, Martha, Martha... There's one thing needful. Mary has chosen it. You're getting too distracted. When Jesus told a parable about a seed that would fall among thorns and that those thorns would choke it, and then he said those thorns that are choking it are the cares and the pleasures of this world, Jesus was warning us, warning us, warning us to wake up, look around, understand life differently, understand that it's upside down. You're too busy. You're too focused on getting money. You're too focused on getting your food. They were too focused on buying nice clothes. They were too focused on getting nice homes. They were too focused to think about the people that didn't have any of those things. They became callous. They became greedy. They became distracted. They were into partying. They were selfishly ambitious. They were acting just like this world. Success, goods, pleasure is the sum total of life. They didn't want to be inconvenienced. They didn't want to share. They didn't want to give with each other. They were insensitive to the people around them. They were uncaring, unmoved. They didn't care that people were in misery. They didn't care. They had no pity. And dear friends, we are tempted to be like this every single day in the culture that we live in now—a totally self-centered culture. To get your own, take care of your own, be your own, be your own person, live the way you want to live acquire, 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 get. Happiness is all tied up in these things. And we are tempted to be the same thing so that you don't even hear the moans of the sick. You don't even hear the sighs of those in prison. You don't even, aren't even aware that there are people around you that are hurting, aware that people around you are hungry. You're completely insensitive to it, Jesus said. And these people went to hell. They went to hell. Why, on the other hand, did the believers respond the way they did. Why? And I'll give you one answer because I think there's only one. They experienced Jesus. They experienced Jesus. You see, they got him. They got him, this majestic king that has come down, who is the judge of the world. They had the same concerns that he had because they had experienced him. Jesus Christ Jesus, the Son of God, Jesus, the Son of Man, is the most others-oriented, sensitive, sympathetic, compassionate, kind person ever. Because he's God. And that's who God is. Jesus was other-oriented. Jesus was sacrificial. Jesus went and did and cared and listened and took care of the well-being of others. Think about Jesus. He left heaven to come to earth. He left all of the comforts of heaven, all of the glory of heaven, all of the praise of the angels, the safety of heaven, the joy of heaven, the beauty of heaven, just the atmosphere of heaven itself. He was the royal son of God at the right hand of his father, full of glory, the king of all kings. And he left that He left the comfort. He left the convenience. He left the security. He left the joy. He left the peace. And he came into a fallen world. A world under the dominion of sin and Satan and sickness and death. And he took on human frailty. He took on a body. A body. He took on flesh and blood. A body that's prone to all of the curse of Adam. He was prone to all that curse, sickness, and pain, and bleeding, and disease, and death. And while he was here, Jesus continued to show that he was the most sensitive man of all. The blind, the poor, the widow, the needy, the sinners, he welcomed into his presence. One time Jesus is preaching, the whole multitude has been there, they've been there for days, and Jesus says, I'm worried about this crowd, they're out of food now. And if they go home, they'll faint along the way. And the disciples are like, man, I wasn't thinking that. I'm thinking I'm exhausted. I'm hungry. Let's get out of here. Dismiss them. They're on their own. And Jesus said, no, no, no. Have them sit down. We're going to feed them. I don't want them to faint along the way. Prostitutes came crying at his feet in a totally embarrassing situation where there's all of these Pharisees around them trying to figure out if he's a holy man. And this prostitutes at his feet. And he identifies with her. And he, and, and, and he explains to them how wrong they are. A leper comes to him in the city. He's not even supposed to be in the city. And the leper says, will you please make me clean? If you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus takes his hand and he puts it on, this, on the pussy sores of this leprous, ugly, filthy skin. And he says, I am willing. Be cleansed. And he cleans this man. He cleans this man. Jesus is hanging on the cross, dying. And he turns to John and he says, take care of my mother. Watch out for my mother. Jesus hanging on the cross and he's dying. He prays, Father, forgive these men who just nailed me here and were gambling for my clothes. Forgive these men who beat me. Forgive these men who are cursing me and spitting upon me. They don't know what they're doing. Don't hold the sin against them. He died for us, He took our sin, our guilt. And when you experience Jesus, you experience this much love and compassion and mercy, and pity, and sympathy, and kindness, and generosity, and self-sacrifice, and genuine concern for the little nobody that is me, and you, and sensitivity to need, and willingness to do something, to sacrifice, to become inconvenienced, even to the point of going to the cross. When you experience that Jesus, and his spirit lives within you, you begin to have your eyes open to the people and to the needs that are It changes you. It makes you like him. And you become aware of that. Let me ask you this. Are you and I sensitive and aware like Jesus, the Son of Man, was? Are you growing in grace in such a way that this radical self-centeredness that began with Adam, where God gets pushed out and we want to be equal with God, are you growing in grace so that that's beginning to atrophy within you? and you're growing in the image and likeness of the Son of Man, and you yourself are beginning to feel the pain of others, feel the need of others, feel deeply enough to do something to help them. Are you doing that? Let me give you just a couple quick, simple illustrations. You all know, we all know here, that the cost of everything is going up dramatically. We all feel it. We come home from the grocery store or we come home from the gas station and we are just shocked at how much everything costs. You're feeling it. You're feeling it. Let me ask you this. Who around you is feeling it much harder than you are? Who? It's people who are on fixed income. Elderly people, people who are in fixed incomes. It's people who have low-income jobs who normally, before this inflation, this gas, normally, those people were still just living week to week, paycheck to paycheck, and now this has happened to them. Or are we just thinking about our own selves? It's people that are on a tight budget. It's people who have decided to live on one income so that one parent can stay home And nurture and raise children and raise the next generation and do one of the most, if not the most, important job for every generation. That's raising the new generation. What about those people? Have you offered to help them? How about this one? Loneliness. Isn't it interesting that Jesus in in this thing said, I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you visited me. Isn't that interesting? Not, I was sick and you healed me. I was sick and you just came. You just just were there. You encouraged me. You visited me. You helped me. What about people who are lonely? What What a beautiful thing a simple visit is. Think of widows. They've lost their, or widowers. They've lost their spouse. Their best friend is gone. Half of their life is buried with them. Their whole house seems different. Everything that they have seems different. And they're desperately lonely. What a refreshing thing a visit is. Think of elderly people whose children may have moved far away and and, and whose friends are all dying. So that a a high school class reunion is now five instead of 50 or 150. 150. Or think of somebody who's shut in and every day, every day it's those four walls, those four walls, those four walls. What a blessing a visit. A visit. How about single people? Single people. How lonely singleness is at times. All of your friends are getting married. They're all having kids. They don't have time for you. You're single. And you're Does anybody know you even exist, you wonder? Those people would love a visit. How about gay people? Gay people. Gay people. Every gay person I've ever known and ever talked to and ever gotten to know to any level, every one of them will tell you they're desperately lonely. They feel odd no matter what the culture does, no matter how virtue signaling everybody is, they feel odd, they feel alone. They wish it was different. They wish somebody would understand. And now many gay people, by the way, many gay people are not happy with this radical gay movement because they're making them feel like they're a target and they're being hated by other people who feel like you're just shoving gay stuff down our throat. They're lonely. How about handicapped people? How about prisoners? I've had the opportunity to work with prisoners and meet prisoners, and you'd be surprised how many men are in prison And they've been in prison for 20 years because they made one very stupid move in their life. And that at a very young age, 19, 20, 21, they did one stupid thing, and now they've been 20 years in prison, and they hardly even remember. I'm not justifying them. I'm not even saying they should be out. I'm just saying they're people. How about single moms? Not only are they single They can't even go out on a date because they've got this child that they need to take care of. How about people who just need a hand, need anything to help? How about people who just need a word of encouragement? That's what Jesus is talking about here. Dear friends, are we spiritually mature Christians? Are we aware of people around us? Are we sensitive? Are we becoming more and more like Jesus so that this becomes almost instinct? Reflect it. I love to watch the mature saints in church. Because rather than forming little cliques with just their friends and just their people that they feel comfortable with, they have this extra radar. Oh, that's a new face I've never met before. And they go right up to them. And they introduce them. And they make them feel welcome. And they make that stranger who's coming to church feel like there are others here and people care. And they don't feel like they're the odd person out. That extra sensitivity... I love love watching people carrying around babies around here that isn't their own. They're carrying around babies. Why? Give them mom a break. Give them dad a break. Here, come here. Come here, sweetheart. Let me me hold you for a little bit. Give give her a little break. Let her fellowship over there with her friends. Let me give give her a little break. That kind of Jesus sensitivity, that kind of compassion and love for people around, and willingness to be inconvenienced, even to the point of dying upon. well we'll think about that dear ones but then finally let's think about this are there some here who are downright lost you're going to go to hell it's almost almost hard even to think about the horror of that there is a hell and some people are going to hear from Jesus depart depart you see you've been telling Jesus your whole life depart depart Jesus get out of my life I'm not doing it your way. I don't want to be one of your people. Depart. I don't want you in my life. My parents drag me here. People make me come here. That's why I'm here. When I'm on my own, I'm out of here. Depart. Get out of my life. Depart. There's too much fun out here. There's too much stuff to do. I want to be me. I want to do my thing. I got my goals. Depart. And one day Jesus is going to take you to your word. And he's going to say, yes, you depart. You depart. But let me tell you something. When you depart from Jesus, everything that is good and righteous and wholesome and light and beauty and holiness and joy, everything that is good, you you will be removed from. Anything, all good emanates from God, all love emanates from God, and you will be cut off from that. And you will wake up in utter, Torment and darkness and pain and misery and emptiness and loneliness and anger. It's just absolute anguish. Weeping, gnashing of teeth. This is Jesus' words. Weeping and gnashing of teeth forever. Life without But the good news is, the one who gave himself, gave himself, is willing to give himself to you. He's ready to give himself to you. You just need to repent. Repent from your selfish ways. Turn from your sin. Turn. Take your arm down. Don't tell him to depart anymore. And run into his arms. And no matter what you've done, how wicked you are, how sinful you've been, what ugly things you've got in the closet, doesn't matter. He's going to embrace you. He's going to love you because why? He's others oriented. He's sensitive. He's loving. He's compassionate. And he will bring you and he will make you then one of the sheep, one of the members of his kingdom. Oh, come to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just long for the day that that trumpet blast which will be heard around the world and in the ears of all those who are in the grave and in the sea all will rise and your glory will come and it will be absolutely crystal clear to everyone else Jesus Christ is King and Lord and we will all stand before you and that glory and the majesty will be so great Oh, Lord Jesus, we pray that you will help us. You have a message here for us today. Let us look in our hearts. Are we sheep? Are we goats? Do we have the evidence of being sheep? Or do we have the evidence of being self-centered goats? Oh, please bring salvation. Oh, please work in our midst. And please, Lord Jesus, we pray, make us more and more like you. Help us, we pray, to be more and more like you. Thank you that you have loved us with such selfless love. Let us turn such selfless love unto others as well. Help us, we pray. We pray this in your precious name.